What similarities are there between high loyalty brands across differing sectors? How is the subscription trend shaping the present and future of customer experience? And which communication channels might become king as social media evolves? But the answer is not what you think. You're listening to CX Insider, and today we find out. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast with me, your host, Marcel. In this episode, we talk to Edward Deason, Head of Customer Experience at Wiggle Chain Reaction, discussing all things digital retail, brand loyalty, and customer satisfaction. Enjoy the conversation, and if you do, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel for CX Insider's best content, or share the episode and leave a comment down below to keep the talks going. By the way, this podcast is brought to you by ACF Technologies, global leaders in customer experience management solutions. All right, so welcome Ed to our podcast. Thank you very much for coming on. Usually we start with an introduction of our guests. So would you like to tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So hi guys, I'm Ed. I am currently head of customer experience at Wiggle Chain Reaction. So we're kind of a niche bike retailer, I suppose, bike and outdoor sports retailer. So I head up the the kind of customer experience element of the organization. So that's our new proposition development and also the customer service side of things as well. Really my, my history, I suppose, is probably like a lot of uh, other customer experience professionals. We were saying this yeah, a second ago. That, absolutely. Uh, is that I started off in customer service and I started off as a customer service admin, would you believe, about, okay. I don't know, 18 years ago maybe? In retail? No, in the travel industry. Okay. So I started out working for a cruise line called Royal Caribbean. Yeah. As a temp, purely because I wanted to get out of education and wanted to just get into work. Mm-hmm. And like I said, like a, like a lot of us, I think I worked up through customer service from a, you know, temp to permanent to team leader to manager and I did my first 15 years or so in the travel industry then I moved on to a really kind of so from from huge blue chip cruise line Mm -hmm. with millions of customers and billions in revenue Mm. to a really small niche tour operator called Explore okay and they were all about super responsible tourism all about small group adventures so totally so instead of 5,000 customers like you get on a cruise ship 10 customers Going wow. to exciting places, you know, okay. and traveling as a little group and sort of really experiencing those places authentically, if you like, yep. and responsibly. So I worked there for a little bit and that's where I went from customer service into customer experience. I saw an opportunity there to, to really kind of have someone dedicated to customer experience, improving mm. the customer experience. They'd gone through a fair bit of change at the time. They'd introduced some new systems and it was having a real impact on their loyal customers. We used to having a real impact, like what, a negative impact? Yeah, so oh, they'd, okay. they'd, they'd introduced a new booking system and it was um, these customers that had been booking with them for 20 years or so were suddenly finding that it was hard to make a booking. Mm. It was hard to get what they wanted and all that kind of stuff. If you want to avoid a similar nightmare and ensure your booking system is absolutely top of the line, why not check out ACF Technologies? ACF's award-winning solutions lead the industry by tailoring their software to meet the specific needs of each organization and facilitating advanced customer flow that can transform your CX. Want to find out more? Click the link in the description or head over to acftechnologies.com. Now, back to the podcast. And there was a real opportunity for us to go, right, let's let's get the magic back into this because their customers were super loyal. I think at the point I left, one of their customers had traveled with them over a hundred times. We haven't been on a hundred holidays, but if we have, right, you, you, you tend to just go, okay, well, you know, where do I want to go? What's cheapest? Mm. Or what's what's the right rate, style rating? This guy didn't go do that. He went, right, I'm going to explore. What have they got? Right. Yeah, because he was totally committed to them because it was exactly the type of holiday that he wanted. So he, he was wasn't jumping on TripAdvisor and exactly. going five star reviews and that kind exactly. of stuff. Exactly, like you or I might go to uh, yeah, two, yeah. what deals of Tui got. Okay, well they haven't got 100%. it. Okay. What deals of you know EasyJet got? Four stars and up, yeah. low to high pricing, and then you go on TripAdvisor and see if the hotel is actually any good. Which is exactly how we do it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they had these super loyal customers. You know, they had a huge chunk of customers who'd been over twenty five times, and, and this guy had been over hundred times. Okay. So anyway, so. 
there's a real opportunity there to, to sort of improve the customer experience and sort of get it back, get back that kind of magic, if you like, that booking experience. Mm. So I did that for a little while and then they were bought out by a bigger company called Hotel Plan. And mm -hmm. I moved over to Hotel Plan uh, shortly after the purchase to go and do customer experience for them. And that's kind of been a bit of a theme through my career is yeah. wearing both hats at the same time, doing customer they service do and customer service. Over, don't they? Loads. And yeah, you were absolutely, absolutely spot on. I think so many guests that we've had on this on Six Insider have started their careers in, in customer service. Yeah. Partly actually because I think the the role of customer experience or customer experience officer or head of customer experience, I don't mean necessarily existed maybe 10, 15 years ago. Definitely didn't, did it? No, it just absolutely wasn't there. Not. Yep. So naturally people like yourself come from customer service who understand experience, but yeah, that sounds like you've made a good career choice there. <laughs> yeah, and it's been super interesting. And I think when you're in customer service, you hear about the stuff that's not really working. Mm. And when you move to customer experience, it's so nice to have kind of that, you have more of an impact on that and you can mm. fix some of those things. You can mm. make that experience so much better for customers. And then probably about three years ago now, I moved to Pret. And mm -hmm. I was their global head of customer experience. I moved to Pret about four weeks before COVID hit. So it was a yeah, very, like it. I mean, so I went from the travel industry, <laughs> who was probably the worst hit, to yeah. hospitality, which was probably second worst yeah, hit. Yeah, no, well, yeah, absolutely. And I spent about two years at Pret, sort of really kind of over, over that core COVID period, um, working as the global head of customer experience, worked on stuff like the coffee subscription. Mm. And then maybe about 10 months ago, I moved to, to Wiggle Chain Reaction, so the, the online retailer. Ed's worked in customer experience for a variety of brands with high levels of customer loyalty. Do these companies have any major similarities that empower such loyalty, or perhaps any differences? Now, Michael Porter's generic competitive strategy suggests that brands with great differentiation in a narrow target market know what they're good at, focusing and mastering it, whereas organizations that try to straddle with a bit of everything tend to perform worse. Does this apply for brands like Pret, Wiggle and Explore? I think it's a really interesting question. So I think it comes down to kind of this, they've got this kind of single-minded focus, right? They know what they do and they do it very well. Okay. And and their cultures, if you like, their management is all designed around doing that thing very well. So if you think about Royal Caribbean, they're the most technologically advanced cruise ships. Yeah, you know, okay. you, you know when you look in the paper and it's, you know, world's largest cruise ship launch, it's always Royal Caribbean. My perception of Royal Caribbean is it's a very premium brand. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because I've, I've been on a couple of cruises mm. And I've always thought Royal Caribbean are high level. I might be wrong, but that's my my, my perception. Yeah. I mean, the marketing guys at Royal would absolutely like adore you, would right? They? Oh, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> so yeah, so so Royal is all about the, the the technology, right? The biggest, the best. You know, right. you, it's all about excitement, and and they really kind of approach that with a single minded focus. Yeah, when the when the ships launch, they always send the office teams into the ships to right. go and experience them. Yeah, they'll always get them down to Southampton, and you get on board, and you get mm. to see what the ship is, what the ship's like, you know, okay. and you get to experience the technology and you get to, you're really there to type, kind of absorb it. And it's such a good way about reinforcing, right, okay, this is who we are. This is what we're about. This is what we do. Mm. And the same with Explore. So so Royal is about that kind of single-minded focus to, about having those, those technologically advanced ships. At Explore, it's all about responsible tourism. They're utterly devoted to responsible tourism. Everything they do is about, you know, traveling authentically. It's engaging with the people that you go and visit. It's not staying in chain hotels in luxury it's about spending time with the people who live in those environments mm. yeah it's about getting the most authentic experience you can and mm. they're all about making sure that when you're there you're giving to that community you're not you know 
paying backhanders to, to yeah. government officials or anything like that. Absolutely. It's all about making sure that money reaches the people who need it most and the people who are sharing their homes with you, mm. cooking you foods, taking you for tours. And they're totally devoted to responsible tourism. When I worked there, you, I was forever being told off for leaving my monitors on overnight or forgetting, oh, really? to, <laughs> right, okay. forgetting to switch off of lights as I left a meeting room and things like that. But 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 it's because they were truly, you know, culturally, they were all about responsibility. And they were the same holidays they've been providing for 40 years. So that guy who traveled with them a hundred times had probably traveled with them pretty much since they started. The reason he was super loyal was because they were continuing to do the stuff that he liked. Right. They knew who they were. Yeah. They know what they were about. And at Pratt again, you know, super loyal customers. And that's because Pratt knows what it does. And what Pratt does is fresh food mm. prepared daily. You go to Pratt because the food's good. And mm. they and the guys in the um, food development team are absolutely rabid about it. You okay. know? <laughs> They love it. They're, they're all about food development. They're forever right. popping up out of the kitchen going, try this, what do you think? So the, the thing those companies have in common is they're very clear about what they do. Mm. That that's what their customers want. And they pursue that with that kind of single-minded devotion to it. One big driver of customer loyalty nowadays, especially for digital products and services, is subscriptions. Ed was one of the workstream leads behind Pret-a-Manger's wildly successful coffee subscription service that was released as an antidote to the COVID-19 lockdown hangovers that washed through London as people returned to in-person working. Not only was Pret's strategy extremely timely, but it revolutionised the industry. Let's find out more about how the idea came to life and what it means for modern CX. I think that, you know, the Pret's coffee subscription was genius if i'm perfectly honest you know i, I would love to I, would, I wish i wish it, it was wasn't I, you, no? no absolutely not I, I couldn't claim any responsibility for it but it's but it was such a perfectly timed piece of strategy mm. the coffee subscription was launched over covid if you think about the environment we were in at that point everybody was working from home mm -hmm. yeah we spent the first what was it two three months hospitality venue shut so every, yeah. every single prep was shut and that was really their only channel of business as well yeah and when things started to reopen, Pret had a real challenge ahead because 80% of their shops were in London. Yeah. Oh, I think there's literally four within 50 yards of each other in one place where we were in London the other day. I, yeah. once, I once heard a fact when I was working there that there are more Prets in one street in London than there are in the entirety of Wales. Yeah. <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> so, so that gives you a sense, I think, of, uh, of, of kind of the challenge they had because they reopened, you know, hospitality was starting to reopen a little bit and 80% of the Prets are in London. And, you know, local towns, the footfall was starting to increase. Mm. London wasn't speeding up at that same rate. And, you know, most city workers were still free to work from home. You know, in London, footfall was still only at 40, 50%, where other areas were at 60, 70, 80%. The, the kind of the coffee subscription was, was an opportunity to get people back into the shops naturally but what it really did is kind of steal a march on the on the competition so if you think about um, i guess the, the environment we were in at that point your routines stopped mm. yeah if you think about covid and all of a sudden we're all working from home yeah or public transport's yeah. not the same or you're two meters away from each other or mm. all that kind of stuff's going on and your routine is totally out of sync so where before you might have every morning got up at the same time stopped at the same coffee shop on the way in or stopped at the same coffee shop as you get off the tube. Your routine's totally bust. You were sort of slowly going back into London maybe, maybe you're doing one day a week to start with. All of a sudden, Pret's doing a month of free coffees. Yeah? And everyone in your office is drinking. Everywhere you look, yeah. people have got Pret coffees. And the guy <laughs> sat next to you is drinking his third cup that day. Because it's, yeah. Because it's that first month was free and then subsequent months were £20. Yeah, so £20 for up to five coffees a day, 150 coffees a month. Yeah, it's a lot of coffees. Yeah, so it was very flexible. But why it kind of and why it was a stroke of genius is people didn't have a routine. They were coming back and their routines have been totally shattered. And now mm. all of a sudden you've got this coffee shop offering you basically as much coffee as you can drink. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably more coffee than you really yeah, should yeah, drink. Absolutely. 
And all of us, you might have been a Starbucks guy, you might have been a Costa guy, you might have been a little independent shop guy, but now all of a sudden you've got a month of free coffee, you're going, well, I'm prepared to be a prep guy for a little bit yeah, and see what happens. And actually the, the coffee's pretty good yeah. and that's your, that starts to be the new routine. And if you mm. if you go, well, I've got, I've got a reason to be in prep each day, I'm just going to yes, keep going to prep. It's genius, to be honest. And it starts to be like that, isn't it? And it starts to build up that routine, and your yeah. routine stops being Nero and Costa and Starbucks, and starts being prep because it's only to, it's free for the first month, and then it's twenty pounds. And then there's the food as well thereafter, and obviously the food's good too. But so so for them, you know, if you think about it strategy wise, you've got all these people starting to come back, and their routines bust, and now all of a sudden they've got this new routine. And you talk to me about loyalty, and now you've got this opportunity. So that cuts that you've got that kind of share of brain space, if you like that yeah. share of attention, and these customers are going, well, I'm yeah. I, I, why would I not take the free coffee? Why do you think brands are obsessed with subscriptions? I mean, you've obviously just proved that with prep, but do you think it's because they're trying to create like brand loyalty, or what, what, what's what's your theory on that? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think there's you know there's a few reasons for for the real take up on subscriptions. So, firstly, I think recurring revenue, mm. right? If you're a business, having having predictable cash flow is always a winner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's no getting away from that. So. Subscriptions are massive. Subscriptions are great for businesses. Yeah. Okay. And they also help with your valuation as well. But then they absolutely drive loyalty. I mean, the Pratt example is a perfect one. You know, it's a reason for people to engage with you consistently. It's a reason for you to reach out and talk to people as well. Mm. If they're subscribing with you, there's, mm. you know, it's that's kind of the opening of a conversational door, isn't it? You know, this person's agreed to spend more money with us every month. Mm. They're obviously interested in us. So let's talk to them about stuff them. that matters to them. It's a great way of collecting data as well and all that, all that kind of good yeah, stuff. So, of the, you know, really in terms of value, you know, customer value subscriptions is super useful because if you know you've got a customer who subscribed to you right you've got a you know consistent flow of cash and you know when they're making those purchases mm. and you know you can talk to them you know they're probably fairly engaged as well they're some of your most valuable customers yeah absolutely following on from the theme of brand loyalty when a group of customers transcends the bounds of customer experience becoming closely connected with a company like fans and advocates they can sometimes form what's known as a brand community coincidentally this is something that's been prevalent throughout ed's awesome career how can brand communities elevate customer experience some businesses and some types of product lend themselves to it quite well and other businesses and products probably don't lend themselves to it at all so so i work for Wiggle Chain Reaction, right? Mm. So we are a company that sells cycling gear, running gear, triathlon gear. Yeah. If you think about kind of that opportunity for community, mm. that's a good one. Um, <laughs> it's huge. Yeah. It because be huge, yeah. if you think about cyclists, they're, all, they're they're generally members of cycling clubs yeah, and course. they do cycling events, right? Triathletes. It's already a big army of them on a Sunday afternoon. You're like, oh, here we go. Careful. I'm only kidding. As a keen cyclist. <laughs> no, no, no. Thin ice. Um, so you get to that. So, so you know, so that for us, you know, community is, we're, we're absolutely dedicated to that idea of community, right? Mm. You know, running clubs are awesome. You know, sports generally are awesome, mm. especially, and, and you've got that kind of inclusivity piece as well, you know. And, and as a, you know, a brand that cares about community and cares about customers, you've got that huge opportunity to engage with people that are maybe underserved or don't get as much opportunity to do some of these things um, as they might like. So, and I, so, so some products and some services really lend themselves to customer communities. Running, cycling, swimming, Absolutely. naturally, naturally a great one for it. Perhaps things that are less suited to communities, insurance, for example. You're never going to be talking to your neighbour about insurance. Oh, or making recommendations <laughs> about insurance and things like that. So, 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 I think communities can certainly add value in, in certain circumstances, and trying to build a community can be really useful in certain circumstances. Okay. But I think there are limits to that as with, well. Um, so, with Wiggle, 
Yes. Okay. And you, I absolutely see it because you're right. All the activities, all the things that you guys are involved in, absolutely about building communities. And what I found by anyone that is a keen cyclist or a runner or a triathlon or whatever, they're always really passionate about it. Mm. And it's also good because it's good for your mental health because you're releasing endorphins, you're keeping fit, but you're predominantly an online retailer. Mm. So how do you build a community when you're not actually on in the high street? Do you know what I mean? What's what challenges? How yeah, you, your products you, are very physical as well. Yeah, same. exactly. So how mm. do you go about that? That's a challenge, obviously, for customer experience. Well, I think you know the, the natural one that comes to mind, right, is is that kind of reviews piece mm -hmm. and that ability to ask questions. And you know, Amazon's a good example. We do it on on the Wiggle site as well to ask the question and go, oh, you know, what size do I need? I'm I'm this tall. I'm this mm. heavy. What what, what's the recommendation mm. and for customers to get involved in that conversation and that's it it's kind of most surface level right okay. but if you think about cycling such a good example right because you know if you're a, quite often cyclists are very knowledgeable about the sport and they love to talk to other as you've seen yeah they yeah, love talking they about really the sport, do yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will happily talk about cycling all day yeah, yeah. So give me the opportunity to talk to other people about cycling you're who are maybe interested in cycling as well yeah. and that's the start of that community isn't it you say okay well this guy's got a question would you like to answer it? Yes, absolutely. I'd like to answer it. Yeah, I mean, what does he want to know? Bottom yeah. bracket standards? Does he want to know what size handlebars he needs? So, so it, these things kind of really naturally lend themselves to it. We um, sponsored a mile in the London Marathon earlier this year, and I talked a little bit about underserved communities and things like that. And one of the things we did was we put up some braille banners for blind runners or, or partially sighted runners with, you know, get your wiggle on or, you know, so, you know some motivational messages. <laughs> get your wiggle on. Yeah. Love it. But it's such a, because, because they're an underserved element of the community. And, and, yeah. and I think you can run the risk sometimes when you talk about communities and when you build communities, you can run the risk of rather than being inclusive, being exclusive and mm. turning it into a, a you know, oof, well, you know, we're, we're specialists, we're experts, we know who we are, you know, mm -hmm. and and not be as inclusive as you could. And for us, it's the absolute opposite. You know, when we get engaged in sport, when we when we help people pick the bikes or the, mm. you know, the, the running shoes or the swimsuits or whatever it is, we want to be as inclusive as possible. We want to give as many people the opportunity to engage in sport as possible. So we're really careful. And when we, as we work on communities and as we look to develop these communities, we're going to spend a lot of time on making sure that we're as inclusive as we can. I think, great example, if you go into a bike shop, Mm -hmm. Yeah, quite often some of these bike shops are really road focused or really mountain bike focused. Yeah. And if you're a novice to the sport and you're walking in, they can be a, bit, a little bit intimidating. 100%. Yeah. I, would, I personally yeah, wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. I'd be like, I don't know if I need, what kind of bike I need, whether it's to be a hybrid bike. Oh, I don't know. I literally wouldn't yeah. know. And the guys, obviously, the, you know, the three mechanics are in the corner and they're talking about <laughs> the latest. This, yeah. And you're going, I have no idea. I just need no. a bit of, I don't really know. You know and you yeah. get that. And it can feel a little bit exclusive. Mm. You know, and actually one of the benefits of online retail is you're not walking into a store no, like that. Not. You haven't got this clique of people. And actually mm. it's very easy to ask a question. It's much more comfortable asking questions, isn't it? Don't know what I need. Could you give me a bit of honest, basically. Exactly. You've got no kind of pressure from people. You're absolutely right. And also the thing is, if you were, a, I say, amateur or if you were getting into something like that and you've got that kind of daunting feeling of going into a showroom, you may feel almost pressured to spend more money than you wanted to spend. Well, this guy, you know, I was looking at this bike, I don't know, £1,500. Mm, yep. I've sort of suddenly walked out, I spent five thousand pounds. I don't yep. even know if I'm going to like it yet. Yep. And that that wouldn't be great. That mm. would actually be a bad start. But I suppose if you have got huge benefits by being online, because you can, we can make it easy for people yeah, to have yeah. those conversations. So actually, one of the one of the really kind of key things we're we're keen to do is to an extent replace that local bike shop experience. Yeah, and do it online.
What Ed's touching on there will be game-changing for the retail environment, and specifically for a brand like Wiggle who are primarily online, the utilization of digital channels is an increasingly important point of note, with mediums like video calls that can make a customer's life easier, faster and better. The growth of AI platforms like ChatGPT is also growing more widespread, which raises further concerns. Let's hear from Ed on which technologies he thinks will take retail by storm and why. I mean, I think you probably hit the nail on the head, you know, there's going to be more video conversations sure. with, with retail, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, um, I think Curry's are probably sort of leading the way in some of this stuff. You can okay. you can have a video call with a with a Curry's expert. And I think that you're only going to see more of that, to be perfectly honest, particularly in, in those com companies that only offer online retail experiences. Yeah. Because that is the key challenge for them, isn't it? How do you get a customer to get a sense of your product if the only way to do it is by ordering it? Video conversations, you can walk them around it. You can yeah. talk about the features with them. You can you can show them the benefits of it in a much more tangible way than you mm. might, than having it as a static item that you have to, you know, you're flicking through the slide. So yeah. through the photos. What is the most common channel at the moment? Is it telephone? Is it email? Is it live chat? Is it e what? What is it? So for us, it's still email. Is it? Okay. It is. Although uh, live chat is a natural second for us. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's going to be a while before sort of email really drops out. But you know, again, things like WhatsApp, Apple Chat—they're going to be huge channels, Booming, yeah. bigger channels. Data mm -hmm. is a big thing. Yep. I mean, we both spoke about subscription earlier and you can collect people's data by subscription. You can engage with that. You've obviously got people's data from mailing lists, online purchases. But do you believe AI has a role in terms of doing something with that data? It needs someone like yourself or someone in customer experience to be able to frame it and actually do it themselves. Yeah, perhaps yeah. it's better to have that personal yeah. application to it. So we're already using AI. Oh, there we go. Okay. Chain reaction. So, yeah, so we, we earlier this year, we started working with uh, an AI company and their, their product is essentially takes all of the free text you collect from your customers, whether mm. it's from CX surveys, MPS surveys, whether it's from the chats that they have with our agents, whether it's, you know, all those different kind of contact methods and way for customers to give you free text feedback. And mm -hmm. if you've worked in customer service, customer experience, you know the worst job in the world is trying to categorize this stuff, um, yeah. yeah, and turn it into useful insights. Yeah, free text field is almost impossible. And they're horrendous, and you yeah. spend an awful <laughs> lot of time, and you end up with these really generic categories. And and this solution, what the solution does is it it's sentiment analysis, it's yeah. natural language processing. Mm. So it takes those chunks of data and it turns them into useful insights. So it goes, right, you had, I don't know, 100 customers talk to you about this issue in a positive way last week. You had 200 customers talk to you about this issue in a negative way last week. Mm. And that is fantastic, That's right? Because it really gets to the kind of, the into the detail about what customers are talking to you about, what matters to them, what's important, what's upsetting them, what's mm. making them happy, what they're loving, you know, all of those kind of pieces. And it presents it in a way that you can track it over time. So, you know, this week, they were, I don't know, 5% happier. There were 5% more positive, 5% <laughs> more positive contacts and last week, you know, than last week. Or this thing's really shut up all of a sudden. Have you checked, you know, promo code contacts have, have really shut up in the last week. Have you got a problem with your promo code? Mm -hmm. All of that stuff's only going to improve, right? Because yeah. the more data you put into it, the better the model becomes, the more, more advanced it becomes, the better able it is to identify trends and issues and all those kind of things more quickly yeah mm -hmm. so i i mean 100 i think ai absolutely yeah, has, has a place it definitely has a place I mean, yeah a good, yeah okay. yeah absolutely and it's it's it offers real value and it's it's great for customers too because it you know though it's nice to be able to put a free text in and know that something's going to happen from it you know give this feedback and understand that there are going to be changes off the back mm -hmm. of it 
Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you did, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel for access to full length videos and YouTube shorts. You can also like, share and comment on the episode to keep the conversation going. If you want to join our growing community of thought leaders, head over to LinkedIn and follow us at CX Insider Podcast to stay updated. Thanks again. I've been Marcel and I'll see you in two weeks. But for now, enjoy our rapid fire questions. And by the way, this podcast has been brought to you by ACF Technologies, the global leaders in customer experience management solutions. I think I remember from my initial call that you're quite a fantasy fan. Uh, okay, yeah, I yes, I've a, a few books in my in yeah, in my home study. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you, do you have like a favorite fantasy book or series? Okay, anything by uh, Ian Banks, Ian M. Banks. Okay, so science sci-fi author, um, really fabulous stuff. I don't think anyone's really sort of got close to the level of detail of his books and and okay. his imagination. Are you quite into like the proper deep sciencey stuff then? Not particularly. I think maybe a kind of a light touch sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather have unlimited battery life on all your devices or have good free Wi-Fi anywhere you go? Oh, good free Wi-Fi anywhere I go. You reckon? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm always reasonably well charged. Fair enough. He's probably got a power bank in his bike. Yeah. <laughs> For the long distance cycle rides, you need a power bank. Yeah. Is there a device like that? Maybe with your with your cycling, like powers up the... Like using a gyro. So there yeah, is. Like, yeah. There is. So, there. so I, do, I do really long distance cycling and I've got a dynamo attached to my bike, which means that as you pedal, the front as the front wheel turns, generates electricity, powers the lights on the you bike. You can tell awesome. that we know so much about cycling. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it is a pretty niche product. It's only because I cycle, I do long distance stuff. That's amazing. When you, I, sorry, how, how long distance? How long are we talking? Uh, 400 kilometers. What? So sort of. What? It, what? Yeah. That's so, crazy. So yeah, so, so I... It is a pretty it, like it's the it's the niche end of the niche sport, right? Yeah. Wow. So yeah, long distance stuff can be anything from typically two hundred k upwards. So when the job offer came in from Wiggle, you were like, "Yep, yeah, I'm in." Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, I've been a customer <laughs> yes. of theirs for 10, 15 years. So, wow. Okay. So That's was, yeah, and that was why that was why I, I took the move from Pratt to, to Wigglewoods because yeah. I've been a customer of theirs for so long. I'd always wanted to work there. It was a great opportunity, and and I love the brand. That's brilliant. Awesome. What a what a person I've had a customer experience. Yeah, who's been a customer exactly. for years. Perfect. Sorry. And that going back to no, it's perfect. <laughs> going back to explore as well. Did they uh, Royal Caribbean? Did you have any benefits like free cruises, or did you so, ever get to experience it? So working in the travel industry, right? One of the perks of working in the travel industry is you typically get to go on familiar familiarization trips. Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't matter whether it was Explore, whether it was the um, the Snow Sports Company, whether it's Royal Caribbean. Typically, you get a chance to to experience the products. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that was wonderful about Explore, for example, was, and this really kind of leans into their passion and their customer experience piece, you get a familiarization trip after you'd been there for, say, a year, you'd get to go on one of the tours. Mm -hmm. And there were two things that when you came back, you give a presentation to the rest of the business. Okay. Cool. You share your photos, you share your highlights, you talk about all the great things, you know, customer contacts the sales team and wants to know about that trip. Your name is on a list. And if you're available, customer will come and speak to you. So it doesn't matter if you're such a doesn't matter if you're in IT, doesn't matter if you're in finance, doesn't matter if you're in everyone loves talking about their holidays, right? So that kind of apprehension about talking to customers totally disappears. Mm. And suddenly you've got Steve who's interested in going That's to such a simple idea. The Serengeti. That, that perfectly answers the question before about kind of implementing CX throughout every yeah. department. Why don't other brands do that? Yeah. Like, you know, that's ridiculous. Like, for example, even like car manufacturers, you know, why not connect the guy who's actually driving that demo vehicle to the person who's interested in that demo vehicle? Yeah. Mad. I was also wondering, you said, you know, your long distance can go up to about 400k. What's the longest that you've ever done in one? Well, I was... Um, 400k bit... not enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was entered to London, Edinburgh, London this year. So it's a 
1,500 kilometers, London to Edinburgh and back again okay. over the course of about four and a half days was the plan. Um, unfortunately, I had a bit of an incident on day one, so I did about 200 miles. So this year, 200 miles is probably the longest, okay. longest okay. I've had. And yeah, I mean, generally for me, I sort of, the, the enjoyment tops out at around 400K a day. <laughs> uh, yeah. Any more than that, and it's a little yeah. bit, it gets a little bit uh, uncomfortable, yeah. <laughs>